We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 for the most part this evening. That's where we're going to kind of linger. I'll refer to some other verses, but that's where we're going to, going to be spending our time. Uh, and if you would, join me in prayer as we start this evening. Father, uh, our desire is to know you more. At the end of all our discussions, we want to know you more. The goal of Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, for that matter, the goal of his whole letter to the Corinthians was love. There was division in the church, in part because of attitudes towards spiritual gifts. So, our goal tonight is not to create attitudes over which we divide, but to explore your word and what what it says in order that we might love one another and benefit one another and serve one another in love. Lord, we ask that you would help us do that. And whatever we get right to that end, great. Whatever we get wrong, well, help us in that too, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So the title of tonight's message is Tongues in the Church. Now, with a question mark. Now, I, I did that because Dave Wilson did the last two weeks on prophecy in the church. So I figured, why not just do one more and call it Tongues in the Church? But I, I added a question mark, and, and it's really a, a bit of a play on uh, the word church. Uh, you know, what, what exactly do we mean when we say that? And so you'll see, I think, as we go through this, a little bit more of what I mean by that. Um, cemeteries uh, are orderly. Everything is lined up in a cemetery. You, live, you grew up across the street from a cemetery. Very orderly. Everything was in perfect order. But pre, a preschool can be orderly too. But the two orders would look very different. One would look alive, one would look dead. Chaos is dangerous. Order is alive. All lined up and nobody moving is dead. Okay, so the Bible does speak, and Paul does emphasize the importance that everything be done in an orderly way, but I don't think he was speaking about orderly like in a cemetery. I think he was speaking about orderly like in we prefer one another and we we make room for the Lord, but we also do it in such a way that benefits other people. That is maybe a brief synopsis of what I think Paul is driving at in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, In this chapter, Paul is calling for an order that builds up. He's calling for a church that is alive, but not all lined up and and still. so, So how do we have life and order? How do we have the Spirit at work in our midst and order? Um, I think that gets to the heart of what Paul is addressing in this uh, uh, chapter. Let's, let, let me review a, a definition to begin with that, that Dave, it's not, I'm not using his definition per se, I'm just, he, he talked about prophecy. So uh, what is New Testament congregational prophecy? Uh, I understand there's different aspects of prophecy in the Bible. So the prophets that wrote, the writing prophets of the Old Testament, they wrote, they prophesied, it was recorded, and we have it as Scripture. Um, and in the New Testament, you have the apostles or uh, those that worked in close association with them writing what became Scripture. 
But you see many places in Scripture where people were prophesying. They certainly didn't write any Scripture, nor would we even have record of what they said. So what were they doing? And so in that context, and I think Wayne Grudem in uh, his book on the gift of prophecy, uh, walking through kind of the the culture of the time and the the Greek language, talking about prophecy, he defines New Testament prophecy as being distinct from the, the kind of prophecy that um, it was involved in writing scripture, as it were. So, what is prophecy? It's, it's spontaneous. And this isn't, by the way, the best definition. It's just a definition. It's a spontaneous, spirit-prompted message given to a gathered congregation or some disciple that is both understandable and it is for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Now, let me, let me say this. When I say spontaneous, I don't, I don't think it necessarily means that you had to get it at that moment. It could mean that you got it that week or that you, you had it at some time prior to that. But the point is, is it comes upon a person who's not necessarily expecting it at that moment and, 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 and they have this prompting from, this, from the Holy Spirit to communicate a message that is for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of the church. Um, it obviously has to be in line with Scripture. It has to be judged. It has to be tested. Um, it is not inherently predictive or foretelling, though it can be at times. Um, it's not scripture writing. It doesn't have the same level of authority as scripture writing. So that's prophecy. And the reason I bring that up is because when we're talking about 1 Corinthians 14 and tongues, there are contrasts made. So we need to at least be able to address those contrasts. Uh, We're told in, in 1 Corinthians 14 to desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So let's read that, 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 just briefly. It says, Follow the way of love. This is the New International Version. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. We'll just pause there for a moment. So, Paul tells us to desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, Dave walked through that at, in, in length, at length. Um, But this idea of desire earnestly spiritual gifts, if your experience is that of Pentecostals, if your background is Pentecostal, um, you might have thought that Paul said desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you might speak in tongues. But he didn't say that, right? But that would be somewhat of the experience in the the charismatic slash Pentecostal world. If your experience is that of the cessationist world, that the gifts have ceased in terms of the supernatural gifts, as if some were supernatural and some weren't, which is a little bit hard to understand, but, but let's just accept that category right up front. If you're in that world that you came from that says, hey, the gifts, the spiritual gifts have ceased, then you might have thought that Paul said, desire earnestly not to have tongues or prophecy in your churches. But I don't think that's what he said either. He said, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This chapter paints a picture of an active pursuit of God, an active pursuit of the living God in order to strengthen one another, which, by the way, sounds a lot like love, you know, which is why chapter 13 is thrown right into the middle of this. I mean, it does work great at weddings, no argument there, but it's not really about that. It's right in the middle of this discussion of spiritual gifts because that has to be the driving motivation for the operation and use of spiritual gifts. So, the first thing I want to talk about is that God works differently 
through prophecy in tongues, that they are different things. And we will have questions at the end. I, I, let, me, let me say this, though. My, my, uh, my starting point, I'm not going to make an argument in my, my message for why 1 Corinthians 14 should be listened to by the church today. There were some that would say, well, this doesn't even apply to us. But I have to make my case from the text, and the text speaks to us, so I accept the canon as it is. I'm not altering the canon. I'm just going to teach it for what it says, that it's for us today. Okay? And, 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 and that's a different discussion if we want to start saying parts of it maybe don't apply to us. Uh, but it's New Covenant. We live in that New Covenant. So God works differently through prophecy in tongues. Verses 1 and 5, note, note here, verse 1 we read. Look at verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So both of these tell us that there's some sense of desire for spiritual gifts, but then note in verse 5, especially prophecy, they both emphasize that. And it's contrasted specifically with tongues. Why? Well, I, I think the reason why, and it's helpful when we read chapter 14 to understand that what Paul was addressing in Corinth. We don't know exactly the circumstances, but it seems apparent that there were those who felt like the gift of tongues was the most important spiritual gift. You know, that if you don't have tongues, you probably aren't spiritual at all. And there are people today that would make that argument, right? And Paul, and we'll talk about this more next week, I, I, because I think it's relevant to look at the whole picture, and that's what we're going to do next week, is look at the, the whole picture, looking back in chapter 12. But Paul is actually arguing against that idea. So you certainly can't go to this text to try to make a case that everybody needs to speak in tongues. That would be an abuse of the text, because that's exactly what Paul is arguing against in the text. You, you tracking with me here? He's saying... No, that doesn't make you more spiritual than everybody else. In fact, chapter 12, I'm sorry, I'm bleeding into next week, but chapter 12, we're one body with gifts differing. Everybody's not going to have the same gift. So in chapter 14, what he's doing is showing them that though some of them think that they are super spiritual because they speak in tongues and have this glossolalia, if you will, this this language that is supernatural and ecstatic, that they're more spiritual than this group that, well, they only speak in known languages. Paul's flipping that on its head because of what chapter 13 said about love being the priority, right? He's flipping it on his head and saying, no, actually, edification, which is because love is important, so edification is the priority. Therefore, it's actually better that you prophesy. You're tracking with me. That's, that's his argument in the text. Okay. Now, verses 2 and 3 give us a brief definition of each. Those who speak in a tongue speak not to men, but to God. Okay? So, somebody is speaking in tongues, who are they speaking to? Well, they're not speaking to people. You could say people, men. It's okay. It's speaking of people, humanity. And, 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 and so, they're not speaking to people. They're speaking to God. Um, verses 14 through 17 In fact, let's just read those real quick because I think they're very important to to acknowledge. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, which is 
what he referred to as praying in tongues in this context. But I also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in a position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. So whether you're praying in tongues or giving thanks in tongues, you are speaking to God, but the other person is not edified. They can't understand what you're saying, so you need to give thanks and give praise to God in a known tongue with understanding, if you will. Um, but that, that confirms what we read back in verses 2 and 3, that the one who speaks in a tongue speaks to God. Makes sense. If it's prayer, if it's giving thanks, if it's praise, that's Godward, right? Prophecy is not prayer giving thanks or Godward. Prophecy is, as it were, manward. It's edification, it's building up, it's strengthening of another person with a known uh, understandable language, a, a sense of prompting that the Lord is telling me to encourage you with this, or maybe it's just, hey, I just want to encourage you with this. You don't even have to announce that you think the Lord told you that. That's okay. That's prophecy. If, it, if, it, if it's something the Spirit is putting on your heart. And yes, it has to be judged. Um, I can remember uh, 19... 19- 81 is last week of February 1981. I know I know the date because I know where I was, but was in a, a meeting. A guy I had never met before in my life because I was in a different city than I was w- w- lived. Came up to me in this meeting and began to prophesy. It's what he would have called it. So I'm just going to use that language about me to me. Uh, not not a common experience, but I'm just saying that's what happened. Okay. And I immediately began to listen and and ask the Lord, is this you? Because I'm open to that. That could be the Lord. But as he went on, I said, no, this is trying to puff up my pride and exalt me. This is from the enemy. So I rejected it. Okay. But but so so he, he was speaking to me. He was it was it was manward, but it needed to be judged. Now. Tongues is speaking to God. Now, on the surface, someone might say, well, speaking to God is more important than speaking to people. Well, Paul seemed to have a different conclusion, right? He seems to think that it's better to speak to people for their encouragement. Why? Is Paul confused? Does Paul think that prayer is not important? Well, it has to do with the context, the timing, the where. We just had a family meeting, right? Five o'clock, we had a family meeting. If I'd gotten up in the family meeting and started uh, speaking in tongues, uh, people might have, well, there's a lot of things that could have happened. Most people would have left, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So, but, but let's just assume that I had, had done that. What was the purpose of this meeting? The context, that would be out of place in that context. A lot of things might be out of place in that context, but that would certainly be one of them. So there is a time for speaking to God. That's prayer. That's thinking. During worship, we give, wor- we give thanks to God, and we do it in, a, in an understanding way. Um, Jonathan Edwards, for instance, thought that it was an error for preachers to make long public prayers as it tended to dampen true devotion rather than promote it. But that doesn't mean that he thought long private prayers were a problem, Right? Context 
matters. And so in the context of a public church meeting, by public, everybody's gathered, understanding is essential to building up and edifying. And and, and one of the goals in that context is to edify one another. So even in our worship, while we might be singing to God, we're doing it in a way that edifies one another. We, We are singing to God, and yet we are singing with and for one another to to build one another up, even as we worship God, declaring truth together. Because those around us hear the truth declared by other believers. That's, you can spend a whole message on that thought right there. I won't. Um, verse 4 speaks of the effect. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. The one who prophesies edifies the church. So when the church is gathered, the goal is always on edifying the church, not on edifying the self. Okay? Um, tongues speaks to God, not men. Therefore, the individual is edified, as in prayer. When I pray, I'm edified. Others might be helped, right? When I give worship to God in my private life, I'm edified. If I'm giving worship, I'm worshiping God in the context of others and I do it in an understanding way, I'm edified and they're edified. Um. Since Paul, and and it's important to recognize, we look at 1 Corinthians 14. Paul is, as I said earlier, he's correcting an abuse of tongues. He's writing a church that is abusing this. I would suspect that if Paul were writing a letter to the church at Gulf Coast Community Church in St. Petersburg today, he would not write the same things about the gifts of the Spirit to us that he would write to the Corinthians. Why? Why? Because the situation is different. Those that have kids, you know, if you have more than one child, you kind of know that, well, in one moment you might be speaking to one child this way, but you wouldn't necessarily turn right around and speak the same way to another child, right? Different circumstance, different situation. And, and so to churches, he would speak differently depending on what the situation was. And he was responding in 1 Corinthians in particular to particular things going on in the church, and the abuse of tongues was one of the uh, particulars that is going on. And you say, why, why is that important? Well, that's important because we need to recognize that, that in some ways you don't just read and apply what's in 1 Corinthians 14. You, you have to say, well, what, what would he say to us in, in that light? So, for instance, Paul might say to us, hey, desire spiritual gifts. In fact, you you just kind of need to desire every kind of spiritual gift because you really aren't desiring any of them. You know, in other words, I don't know that he would come in and see excesses that need to be adjusted. He might see that we're deficient in all. But here he saw excesses. So we want to be using the gifts that God has given us, but we don't want to get excessive any one of those particular things. So, At its core, though, what is speaking in tongues? What what is this glossolalia? This is where we get glossary, right? It's where we get, you know, it's the tongue. It's languages that we speak of. And and, and so we we could say, uh, back up in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It seems... That there's some sense that tongues could be a heavenly language or an earthly language. Um, I, I would say that at least we know this, that, that's, that when in the New Testament, when they were speaking in tongues, it was a spirit-given language. 
that the speaker did not understand. It, it was a form of prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Uh, it could be a known human language, or it could be a non-earthly, a heavenly language, which that person has neither learned nor understands. It's only used one time in Scripture to communicate to other human beings. Only one time in Scripture do we see somebody speaking in tongues, a whole group of them, Acts chapter 2. And the audience is other human beings that understood what was being said. That only happens once. And in that situation, what did they hear them saying? They heard them declaring the praises of God, which lines up with what we just read in 1 Corinthians 14, that it's thanksgiving, that it's praise, that it's prayer. The wonders of God in their own languages. But they didn't, they didn't hear the gospel coming in that language. It wasn't like they were hearing preaching. No, Peter got up after he drew the crowd. You know, the crowd comes together hearing this. He explains it, and then he goes on to present the gospel about Christ being crucified, buried, and raised on the third day. So it wasn't evangelistic in one sense. I mean, obviously it had some effect in that direction, but it wasn't specifically evangelistic, though in that case it had some sense. You go to uh, Acts chapter 10, and they're speaking in tongues, and as far as we know, nobody understood it in that particular case. At least that's as far as we know. We don't know whether they did or whether they didn't. All we know is Peter's going, ruh-roh, they're all speaking in tongues, and I didn't even know they could be saved. I guess we have to baptize them. Okay, so he saw that the Spirit of the Lord came on them. These were unusual events, no doubt. Acts chapter 19, you have these uh, uh, disciples in, in, in Ephesus. And again, you see this sort of empowering of the Spirit come on them. Acts 8, you see some, some kind of empowering of the Spirit. Um, I think it was in 19, they spoke in tongues and prophesied, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, but... But the point is, in all those other references, as far as we know, nobody understood it. Well, what was it there for? Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute, what I think, I think it's there for. Um, the, the ability to speak in tongues, from what we see in Scripture, uh, is entirely directed by the Holy Spirit. But it is not the kind of experience that the person is taken control of by some spirit, even the Holy Spirit, and is out of control of what they're doing. Because later in chapter 14, when the Spirit prompts people to speak, whatever that particular prompting is, you know, even in prophecy, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets, that this whole idea of of, uh, if, if somebody has a tongue but there's no one to interpret, they should remain silent and speak to himself and to God. You know, silent in the church, speak to himself and to God. So there's this sense of control. So somebody says, oh, I just couldn't help it. It came on me and I had to speak it. Well, no, you didn't. Not if it's the Holy Spirit, you didn't. At least not according to what we read in Scripture. Um, there's, there's this ability to control uh, what's going on in that situation. Now, I've had experience. I was raised Catholic. I landed in the Catholic charismatic movement. And then I landed in the Protestant charismatic world. And then I discovered a love for doctrine and began to grow in my understanding of the Bible. And I've, I, I, I'm at a place now where, how would I describe myself? Heinz <laughs> uh, 57 mostly. But I, I, I'm 
I'm what I would call a continuationist, which is to say I believe the gifts of the Spirit continue to this day. They will one day cease. Chapter 13 speaks of that when, when, when you know, we see face to face that these things pass away. But we haven't done that yet, so I assume they're still here. Uh, so I'm a continuationist. Um, I'm not a cessationist. But I'm, I'm also not a person who thinks that our focus and emphasis should be on you know, what we might think of as spectacular gifts. Our focus should be on edification of the church. I welcome my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to, to come into the church and use their gifting. But when it comes to speaking in tongues, Paul's very specific. And, and let's read that again in, in chapter 14. Um, oops, sorry, I just had it. At verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time. In other words, don't, don't speak over each other. And someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now, let me be clear on something that I think is important to recognize. He doesn't say, if there's no interpreter, don't say anything. He says, don't say anything for the church to hear, but let him speak to himself and to God. That's different, isn't it? It's two different things. So it's not that he says, don't say anything. He says, don't say anything to the church if there's no interpreter. Why? Because there's no meaning, therefore there's no edification. I have had the gift of tongues, and I most Sunday mornings during worship, if you were sitting next to me and you looked at me, you might notice that I'm moving my lips. What am I doing? Well, many times I'm speaking to myself and to God in another language. So do you know what it is? No. I don't know what it means. Okay? Uh, I was roughly 15 years old, give or take a couple of months, one way or the other. I can't remember the exact day. And I had been, you know, hearing about these things in the Bible, and I prayed and asked the Lord if he would give me that gift, and the next thing you know, I'm praying in tongues in my bed in the middle of the night. That just is my experience, and it's something I've not quit doing, but you're not going to hear me get up at the microphone and do that unless there's an interpreter. Why? Because there'd be no benefit in that. I'm glad that the Lord's given me that gift. I find it is edifying, and frankly, sometimes it's the only way I know how to pray given certain situations, and so, thank you. But, if I didn't have that, I'd just weep before the Lord and that'd be okay too. Sometimes that's what you need. Um, but I don't think everybody is supposed to have that gift. I, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I don't think everybody is supposed to have that gift. So just to be clear. But somebody might say, but, but sometimes tongues just sounds like blah, blah, blah. It just sounds like babble. It doesn't sound like a language. You ever heard that before? I've heard it. Not an uncommon thing for people to say. In fact, there are many people who give up on the gift because they thought they had it, but then they, they think to themselves, this doesn't sound like a language. I think D.A. Carson, in his book, um, um, oh, what, what's the name of his book on 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 12 through 14? Uh, Showing the Spirit, D.A. Carson. Excellent. But by the way, if you want reading recommendations, let me give you two reading recommendations. One is 
showing the Spirit, D.A. Carson. It's an exposition of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Best exposition of that text I've ever read. I'll get back to that. The other one, just for the record, is called Not Speaking, But Thinking in Tongues. And it's by one of my favorite authors, uh, James K.A. Smith, uh, or as people who know him affectionately call him, Jamie Smith. Um, but, but that book, Thinking in Tongues, it's not a, actually about tongues, but it, it drives at the thinking, the way that, that people that, that do believe in spiritual gifts think about the world that's different than the way that many times us more rationalistic people think about the world. So it's an excellent read and not that difficult. So Thinking in Tongues. But the first one, D.A. Carson. What I appreciate about D.A. Carson's book is D.A. Carson or Don Carson will, will be the first to tell you that he does not practice speaking in tongues. He is not in a church that anybody practices speaking in tongues. He's not in a denomination that as far as he knows, of course I'm sure there are some in any large group of people, but that as far as he knows anyone's practicing speaking in tongues. I mean, it's just not part of his deal. You follow me? And yet he is, is, comes to the table and says, listen, you can't make an argument from Scripture that says that this can't be done today. And you can't make an argument that just because it doesn't sound like a language that it isn't a language. I'll get to that in a moment again, but not, just a few short moments. Um, looking at the time and making adjustments here. When, when someone is speaking in tongues, um, when someone's speaking in tongues, prays that he may interpret, what, when, does, when does a person do that? Well, in a meeting. If you're in a meeting and you sense that you're supposed to say something in tongues, you say, well, is there an interpreter here? You might know we have a congregational mic at the front. Um, this morning in one of the servers, I forget who, was, who came in the first and someone in the second. We had a couple of different people that came and shared some words of encouragement from the, uh, uh, or at the mic uh, this morning. Um, excellent, very encouraging. Um, and that's what that's for. But let's say somebody went up to that mic or up to the person standing there. We usually have either an elder or one of the leaders in the church standing there. And they said, hey, listen, I have a sense that I have a tongue. They would say, well, let's see if somebody has a sense that they've got an interpretation. Because if you don't have an interpretation, we're not given the tongue. They might ask somebody that they know has been used to give interpretations, which I have. I've, this has probably been 20 years ago. They came and asked me, do you have faith that the Lord would give you an interpretation? So-and-so thinks they've got a tongue. Well, it had to be less than 20 years ago because I've been pastor in 19 here, so maybe 18 years ago. And... At the moment, I, I, I said, well, I don't know, give me a moment. And I prayed, and I felt the Lord say yes. I had no idea what it was going to be. <laughs> and so I said yes, and the person gave the tongue, and the Lord was, gave me the interpretation as it went. Now, how did you know it? Did you know the language? No, I didn't know the language. Can you prove it? No, I can't prove anything. But that's how it was, as, as it was going. That's what the Lord gave me, and I, I shared that. Well, it was, a, it was a, an exaltation of God, so... That could happen. It hasn't happened since that time. Not because it couldn't. It's just not the common thing. I think it's less important. I just highlight it because I want us to be aware that possibility exists. At least according to what we read in 1 Corinthians 14. Um, Carson uh, 
talks about the fact that, that, you know, just because something might sound like baby talk doesn't mean it's not language. Um, and and I, I'm going to share a story that I think helps illustrate that point. Um, it's a story out of um, the, the biography of uh, the Olympic runner Louis Zamperini. Um, they did a movie about that as well a couple few years ago. It was really good. I forget that. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, Unbroken is the name of the book. And I read the book. And, and, and so Olympic runner Louis Zamperini captured after his plane was downed in the Pacific, survived 47 days on a raft at sea. That's nigh impossible. Only to find that they had journeyed west into the Japanese-occupied territory where they're put in prison camps. Ofuna was one of those camps where the prisoners were forbidden to talk when they were together. Or even to talk when they were uh, between uh, barracks, or you know, to talk between the barracks at night. Any talking resulted in beatings, and the loss of their small ball of rancid rice. That's what they had to eat every day—a small ball of rancid rice. Don't talk. In time, Louis discovered that both the forced silence of Ofuna and the bowing submission of its captives were illusions. Beneath the hush was a humming underground of defiance. It began with sidelong whispers. The guards couldn't be everywhere. And as soon as an area was left unattended, the the captives became absorbed in stealthy muttering. Men scribbled notes on slips of toilet paper and hid them for each other in the binjo, that's the latrine. Once, when given permission to speak aloud so that he could translate orders, Commander Maher advised other captive, uh, captives on stealing techniques uh, right in front of the oblivious guards. The, the boldest captives would walk up to the guards, look straight at them, and speak in English using a questioning tone. The confused guards thought they were being asked questions when, in fact, the men were speaking to each other. When words couldn't be used, Morse code could. At night, in the small intervals, when the the guards left the building, the whole barracks would start tapping. Outside, men would whisper in code, using tit and dot for da and dash. So you just imagine tit, tot, tit, tot, tit, dot, tit, dot, 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 tit, tit, tit. You know, that's what they're doing. What would that sound like? Baby talk, and they were communicating an entire language. Outside, men would whisper in code. Uh, I'm sorry, I read that part. Uh, Most of the discussions were trivial. Louis would be remembered for his descriptions of his mother's cooking. Imagine you're doing Morse code with this muttering, and you're just talking about your mother's cooking. (laughs) But when you're desperate to communicate, right? I mean, you're willing to do what you need to do. Um, The triumph was in the subversion, he writes. Are they right? The triumph was in the subversion. Um, I wonder sometimes if the reason tongues is so resisted in our rationalistic culture is because we don't understand oppression very much. These captives needed only two syllables to communicate what they needed. We live in a dark world and everything about God is in part. But there's a certain triumph in the subversion of being able to communicate directly with God unhindered by human limitations. And if the Holy Spirit is writing the code, the... The, the, the tit and the da, if you will, if, if, if all that's been written by the Holy Spirit, then God can certainly understand it. I mean, we program computers with but two things, basically on and off. You know, it's, it's, it's either a yes or a no, as it were. It's binary. There's only two things. The entire computer language 
is that. So to think that just because something sounds like blah, 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 so to speak, certainly doesn't mean it could not be a language. Um, and I'm not here to say whether, how God's going to, to do or not do that. Clearly in Acts chapter 2, they were given languages that the people understood. I, I heard somebody try to explain that it was a miracle of hearing. That that was the gift that happened there, which would then mean that the unbelieving people received a gift of the Spirit, which makes no sense to me. But, but anyway, it wasn't a miracle of hearing, it was a miracle of speaking, at least of what the text says. They were speaking in the languages of these people, their, their national birth languages, the mysteries of God. So that was clearly human languages there. Does, God want, or does Paul want everybody to speak in tongues? Look at verse 5 of chapter 14. Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. Some have taken that line and said, look, see, Paul does want everybody to speak in tongues. That's probably a stretch of what Paul is saying there. In fact, in chapter 7, he says, I wish that all men were like me, referring to celibacy. So we're going to take them on that one too. You know, most men I know aren't. Uh, yeah, Paul, that's for you, not for me, right? No, this is a matter of manner of speech. This is how he was communicating. It's not that he actually wanted everyone to start speaking in tongues. It's how we communicate with one another. Sure, I would love for you to speak in tongues, but that's not what I'm driving at here, is kind of what he's saying. It's not an, an affirmation that it's a gift for everyone. Some have made a distinction between the gift of tongues for the congregation and the gift of tongues as a prayer language, which I think is a valid distinction. We, we just looked at that, speak to himself and to God. If there's no interpreter, I don't know that it's a different gift, but if there's no interpreter, that's what you do. But they've said because of that distinction that the first one in the church is not for everybody, but the, the prayer language is for everybody. Well, that honestly just makes no sense of the text. There's just nothing in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that would indicate that, that Paul is saying that some gifts are for everybody. He's emphatic that the gifts differ. So we can't, we can't create a two-tiered uh, spirituality that says that some people are more spiritual because they have all that God wants for them and these ones don't. No. There's one body, next week, chapter 12, one body. And so, that's what that one body is. Now, did Paul speak in tongues? Let's, let's, let's address that question. Um, look, at, look at verses 18 and 19, and we'll close with, with this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Well, Paul says he speaks in tongues more than all the Corinthians. And even if you just think that's more than any one of you versus more than all of you added together, it doesn't really matter. That's a lot, right? He seems to have used it, but in the church, he'd rather only speak five words of intelligence than 10,000 in another tongue. So... Just thinking about that, we have to say, then that, that Paul used it privately and not publicly. So he never would have used it publicly. He might have. But if there was no interpreter, we know he didn't. Right? 
We have no evidence that he did, even with an interpreter. But he, we, we can't exclude the possibility, is all I'm saying. He might have. But his point here is, that's not what he uses it for. And so there is a place, if, if the Lord has given you that gift, to pray that way. And I would encourage you to do it. To speak to yourself and to God if you're in a public setting. Which is to say that you're not disrupting the meeting around you. You're not taking over. You're just you're there between you and God having conversation. That's fine. That's wonderful. Or at home or however it might be. Driving down the road. That's fine too. Um, but th- Paul clearly did not use it in the corporate meeting. Um, we know from other places, like the letter to the Thessalonians, that Paul spent a lot of time in prayer for the churches. I have to suspect, now clearly he, he prayed with understanding because he related those prayers, right? You know, he doesn't say, I, when I was giving thanks to God for you, and then he goes on to write in tongues for a while, telling them what he said. No, he, you know, he, he tells them in understanding what he said, so that's how he's praying. But he also, I, I, I suspect, given what we just read here, that he also did pray in unknown languages as he prayed. So... But he spent a lot of time in prayer, but that was in private. If you have the desire for the gift of prophecy, Paul tells you to ask for it, to desire it. Well, ask the Lord. It's it's up to him. I I would say the same. If you have a desire, you yearn, I would love to have the gift of something. Well, ask the Lord. That's up to him. We're not going to line you up and teach you how to do it. (laughs) Because there's just no evidence that that makes any sense, and certainly not in the Bible. Um, in Corinth it seems that some thought that tongue speaking was essential to spirituality there are whole groups of Christians today who think the same way but that is divisive but likewise Paul says don't forbid speaking in tongues today I I think you could go the other way you have plenty of people that would like to forbid it but Paul says don't do that now, if, if ever Paul were going to say to forbid it, it would have been to the Corinthians, right? Because they were abusing it. I mean, that had been the most likely place that he would have done it. But he closes the whole discussion by saying not to forbid speaking in tongues. Paul wants us to use each gift in its proper place. Speaking to God in private, allowing Him to be at work in you so that you can speak to others in the assembly, allowing God to be at work building others up through you. In order for this to be a reality that we as a church experience, we must desire what the Spirit has with zealousness. Apathy has never produced spiritual good. So I I think this particular chapter 14 paints a picture of an active pursuit of God in order to strengthen one another. Love, driving force of spiritual gifts. So that's a fast run through. It's a lot about tongues. Let's just take a moment and Open it up for what questions there might be. We've got a few minutes left for that. And, and so we'll take, talk about that. Yes. So it seems like in the corporate setting, the best question to ask the Lord would be, maybe do you have an interpretation of a tongue for me to share? Because that seems like the lesser available gift, maybe. Available to share, but it's 
I understand the logic of what you're saying. I, I, I don't know that I'd want to come down one way or the other, but there's some logic there that obviously uh, one might inquire about that. I, certainly, if we're, not, if we're not asking the Lord to, you know, is there a way that I need to serve the body today by the use of whatever gifts you have for me? We're probably not going to experience that. So we need to be open and willing for the Lord to use us because people come with needs. People come hurting. People come needing, you know, to, to know God more. Um, we could have spent more time at the end of chapter 14 talking a little bit more, I think 28 and 29, talking about the effect that tongues can have and prophecy can have in a church. I mean, just the reality that you have a, a living God among you. And then there's a lot more that could be said there. Um, maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about that. I don't know. But um, so, so. I think the Lord could certainly put it on people's heart to pray that way. Um, and would it most likely be an exhortation or like, um, sorry, an exaltation of God? Like, I think you kind of alluded to that. Mm-hmm. That tongues are generally like in praise of God. Right. So I, if uh, logically the interpretation would be a Godward exaltation. And I think that's what we see in Acts 2. The people heard them declaring the Wonderful works of God in their own languages is, I think, one translation. So that's praise, right? So that makes sense to me if in the first place it's either prayer or praise or thanksgiving that the interpretation would be that. Um, and that's been at least my experience of it. Alice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if they say they don't uh, sense that they can do that, mm-hmm. would they approach you or would the person just have to leave without? Yeah, so, good question. And 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 uh, in most probability, the, the the person with the mic, let's say they didn't have any sense of it, they they would probably come ask me, hey, should we do anything else with this? And 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 I'd probably say. Uh, Let's, let me pray about it a minute, or let's wait and see if somebody else comes. I might. It's possible. I'm, I'm, you know, don't think I've ever done this, but certainly not opposed to doing this. Uh, maybe say, hey, got somebody that feels they have a tongue to share. If anyone feels they have the interpretation, please go up to the mic, let them know. That, that's possible. Um, you know, God can work in different ways. Yeah, the interpretation is where the edification would come in that. And, and that's, again, Paul emphasizes prophecy. He's not emphasizing tongues, but he's saying, you know, if there's an interpreter, great, but never without the interpreter. Um, he, he's trying to put the emphasis on edification of the body when they gather. That's his driving point. Allison. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that think that we don't come for it, 
Right. Yeah, and I don't know that I'd say it can be present at the call of the person. I've, uh, I know we, you know, what Paul says is, I speak in tongues more than you all, but in the church I'd rather do this. So he clearly is indicating that he uses it in private. Does that mean that he can do it at, you know, at will? I don't know that he can do it at will. Can I do it at will? Not really. Um, I suppose, in some sense, you might say that. Which is just, but 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 here's the reality: there are times when I would not have any sense that I should be praying in tongues. But there are other times when I, I reach a, a point in my prayer where it just seems that that's the only place to go and the Spirit gives me utterance so you in my prayer. Say that you have really practiced that. You just like the way you're talking about, about Sunday morning. Yeah, it's it it's not infrequent on a Sunday morning for me to be experiencing that because I'm in the middle of praying and seeking the Lord about what I'm about to preach and in in that time of worship I just I it's not infrequent for me to do that. It's not every week, but it's not infrequent. Um so so, you know, it, it seems like in 1 Corinthians 14 both prophecy and tongues that the people who receive them may receive them with far more frequency than they're supposed to share because they need to learn not to share, right, is what Paul's indicating to her at the most three. The rest of you, you know, another day or something, you know, like that. It's kind of hard to know exactly what he's meaning. Um, so, yeah, I, but, but Paul does seem to think that there's some, I mean, he, he seemed, at least in his own experience, whatever that means, that there was some level of, of, of frequent use of it in his prayer life. And what, what that means in terms of, of direct access i yeah that's a good question i don't i wouldn't come down in judgment one way or the other about it um certainly we know to to your point that and just because somebody may be used by the lord to pray for people and they get healed doesn't mean they can go around and empty the hospitals so okay we're gonna have to pause there we're out of time a little over so let me just um pray and then we'll 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 break father thank you so much for Uh, This time, your grace, um, your word, help us to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.